Well, last weekend we started a new series called Christmas Time, the Right Time. And in this series, we will be asking the question why was that night in Bethlehem, why was that point in history the right time for God to send Jesus into the world? And then we are also looking at how Christmas. 2018, this Christmas, can be the right time for us to experience Jesus. Last weekend, we explored the theme verse for this series, which is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what it says. But when the time was right, God sent his son, and a woman gave birth to him. The fact that God loved people was very obvious when he made his decision to send Jesus uh, when he did. It was not a pleasant time in history. It was not a pleasant time in which to be born. People worshipped false gods and they sacrificed their children and they used religion to exclude and uh, persecute and spread hate and the cruelty of the world that they lived in and the cynicism around them had closed their hearts to many people uh, and to compassion for others. And so our theme verse tells us that the time was right for God to send his son to be born. I mean, he came to rescue them and to give them hope. He decided that he couldn't wait any longer to save them from their sin and from their selfishness. The right time was right then. Now, if you think about it, many of the same things that were true of those days are also true in our society today. I mean, people still worship false gods Today they might live in them or drive them around, but they still worship false gods. And um, people still uh, use hate or use religion to exclude and to persecute and to spread hate. And compassion seems to be in short supply. And cynicism seems to be on the rise. And so it seems to me it's still the right time. This Christmas is still the right time for God to step into our chaotic lives and to give us hope. It's still the right time for God to step into our chaotic world and give, give us peace. And he doesn't want to wait any longer to help you or to help me. And so as we continue to focus on God's timing, I think we have to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if you remember... We began our year looking at Ecclesiastes. We began looking at what this wise King Solomon said about how to wreck our lives. But let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Now some of you who are older may already know that verse and really the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 because of a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. It was performed by a group called The Birds and it became an international hit in 1965 when I was in kindergarten. I'm not kidding, that's where I was in 1965. And the verse that 
uh, the verses that follow say that there's a time to be born and a time to die and a time to plant and a time to reap and a time to kill and a time to heal and many other things. But Solomon, the author, is emphasizing there is a time, there is a season for everything in life. One writer says that there really are only seven seasons of life. Here's his idea on that. He says life starts with spills. When you are a baby, everything goes on the floor. I mean, babies love to spill things. They love to play that game, I drop it, you pick it up. And then life moves from that to drills, the drills of childhood, spelling drills and drilling them on multiplication tables and drilling them on proper manners. It's the things parents and teachers drill into their heads. Next, he says, there are the thrills of the teen years, the thrills of the teen years, roller coaster rides and first dates and learning to drive and gaining independence. But the thrills of the teen years give way very quickly to bills. This stage seems to last a long time. <laughs> College bills, car payments, marriage, mortgage, dental work, bills, bills, bills. Now about midlife, you hit chills and ills. <laughs> this is when you figure out that your body isn't going to let you keep acting like a younger version of yourself. And you might end up in the hospital when you figure that out or... Uh, with a broken bone or just in bed earlier. The pills stage is when you are clearly over the hill. You end up with one for arthritis, one for blood pressure, some for heart health, plus vitamins and ibuprofen. And the last stage is wills. And it starts with you trying to will yourself to do things. You know, I will get up. I will get up. Will someone help me up? And this stage ends with people that you love very interested in what your will says. Well, you can figure out which of those seven stages you might find yourself in, but the fact of the matter is there's good things and bad things about each of the seasons of life. And as we acknowledge the truth of Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, that there's a proper time and a season for everything that happens on earth, we can begin to appreciate God's hand in time. How much of life, how much of life that we take for granted is part of his plan for us? I know it's become trite to some and it's overused, but you do know that God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you and for your life. When you were born, he had some dreams for you and what would happen in your lifespan. And I believe with all my heart that much of the dissatisfaction we often feel is because we're trying to live by our own plan instead of his plan. And it might be that we just haven't slowed down enough to discover what his plan for us is or it could be that we think that we have a better plan but think about it could it be that your restlessness in life is because you aren't living the life that God designed for you to live could it be that his plan is better for you
And that's really where, where I want us to spend the rest of our time today. I want us to focus primarily on one verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I want to see how it plays in to God's timing and God's plan for our lives. First, I want you to see clearly that creating beauty is a part of the plan. Creating beauty is a part of the plan. Look at Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, just the first part. Here's what it says. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has made everything beautiful for its own time. Now, if you aren't sure that you believe in God yet, and you aren't sure that you trust what he says, you might have some questions about this. In fact, even people who do trust him might have some questions about this. The passage says, God makes everything beautiful in its time. That means God can take the worst of your hurtful, chaotic world and make it beautiful. He can take the worst of your chaotic world and make it beautiful. The point is this. God is busy creating beauty. He is making things beautiful. It dawns on me that to really understand this, I have to learn two things. First, I need to learn. These aren't in your notes, so if you want them, you're going to have to write them down. First, I need to learn to trust God's opinion. I have to learn to trust God's opinion. God is quick to see beauty in things. He's very quick to see beautiful things and to see beauty in things. I'm not. God sees beauty in each of us. He sees the best part of us and he notices the times that our attitude is right. He notices the times when our heart is right. We tend to overlook the beauty and we tend to be quick to see the ugliness around us. We see the times that other drivers act like jerks and we don't tend to appreciate the dozens of drivers who are careful and considerate all around us. We tend to notice the time that the plane takes off late and we tend to shrug when it takes off early or on time. And we may overlook the A's and B's on the report card and be quick to question the C's and the D's. And if you think that we're hard on other people, most times we're hardest on ourselves. None of you is as critical of my messages as I am. We're hardest on ourselves not on other people. Years ago, I worked hard in our house to put down a, uh, a floor in our family room in our kitchen, and I mean, it was hard work, and I'd never done it before, and uh, I did it pretty much all by myself and figured it out, and when it was done, my wife loved it. She still loves it. It looked good, and um, people would come over, and they'd comment on the floor, and you know what I'd do? I'd walk them over to this corner and say, well, I kind of messed up here. And over here, didn't quite do that right. I just kind of made it work. And, and I'd point out all the flaws because that's the way that we do it, isn't it? Here's my point. It is hard for us to believe that God is making things beautiful when we're focused on our own ugliness, when we're focused on our own failure, when we're focused on our own weaknesses. Here's the truth. God created you beautiful. He created you beautiful. And where you have messed that up 
He is continuing work to work to create beauty in your life. And when he looks at you, he sees beauty. When he looks at me, he sees beauty. So the trick is to learn to trust his opinion, to see ourselves through his eyes, to begin to see yourself as beautiful. But the second thing that we need to learn is to trust God's timing, to trust God's timing. He isn't finished yet. He is still working on us and on the situations that we live in and on the world around us. He is still creating beauty. And I don't know about you, but I get pretty impatient. I get pretty impatient. I want it to happen now. I want instant success. I want instant spiritual growth. I want things to be fixed in an instant. And God often takes his time. And as hard as it is to say, I have been learning that God's timing is better. His timing is better. And I have to trust his timing. He will make everything beautiful in his own time. In its own time. So if you want to see more beauty this Christmas season, you need to cooperate with God's plan and with God's timing. Creating beauty is part of his plan. So when we talk about this being the right time for you to get it right, it means that it's the right time for you to say to God, God, I want to cooperate with you. I want to cooperate with you. I want you to create more beauty around me. I want you to create more beauty in me. I want you to create more beauty through me. And Romans 12 gives us some insight on how we can let God create beauty. Look at what it says in verse 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Some parts of you are already beautiful, but God wants to transform you. God doesn't want you to stay the same. He wants to transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. He creates beauty in us as we allow him to transform our minds so that we can think like him so that we can act like him so that we can feel compassion like him so that we can love like him and as we begin to see people as we begin to see the world through his eyes thinking his thoughts we begin to see beauty and it changes us we become a reflection of him we become part of his beautiful creation So creating beauty is a part of his plan. Secondly, craving better is part of his plan. Craving better is part of his plan. Look back at Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Now, I find that to be a really compelling concept to think deeply about. God has planted eternity in the human heart. Just what does that mean? I think it means we have this constant desire for something more, a desire for more. We, we have this feeling that things aren't quite right just yet, that 
things are just not complete yet. We have this deep down feeling that there has to be more than living 70 or 80 years in a world full of war and problems and pain. And the passage says God has placed inside of all of us this longing for eternity. That's why we long for more than what this earth can offer. I mean, our heart longs for more when a person that we've loved for 10 years turns on their heels and walks away. Our heart longs for more when we read about another baby abandoned in a dumpster or about another terrorist attack or another school shooting. Our heart longs for more when we hear about soldiers or police officers dying or about another senseless suicide. Our soul cries out for more when our highest intelligence can't keep our most loved from dying of cancer. When the news is full of disgraceful stories of supposed role models and the majority of people don't even seem to care. Our soul cries out for more when our body just aches. When we desperately miss the one who has died, or when we read about hungry and homeless children in the richest country on the face of the earth. If we're being our most honest self, I think we can all admit that there's this ache that lies within each of us, a feeling, a longing that never truly goes away, this empty spot an empty spot that was placed there by God. He has placed eternity in our hearts. So when you don't feel totally satisfied, when you don't feel like uh, it's enough, when you feel like there's just got to be more and that we can do better, realize that craving better is part of the plan. It's part of the plan. God has placed this holy discontent in us. He's placed this holy discontent inside of us. And knowing that means it's okay to ask God to help you get better, to cooperate with his plan rather than being discouraged by it. God has planted in us a longing for the best, a, a longing to become better. And one of the cravings for better that seems to happen at Christmas time is a craving for better relationships. Some of you are craving a better relationship with God. Your heart turns to him this season and you may be realizing that you started this year with big plans to get closer to God, to be in church more often, to pray more often, to read your Bible more, to serve more, to get into a growth group. And maybe you realize we're coming to the end of the year and your relationship with him is no better. I mean, in fact, it might be worse you may feel further from him, not closer. Now is not the time for guilt. Now is the time to say to God, I want to cooperate with your plan and get it right this time. God wants that too. He wants that too. He wants a better relationship with you and he won't turn you away because you failed in the past he will welcome you and work with you to get it right this time 
Another craving for better that seems to happen this time of year is a craving for better relationships with others. This time of year might make us think of the good times that we've had with family or friends, maybe even family and friends that we're at odds with and haven't spoken to for a while, and we may miss them and sincerely want a better relationship, and God wants that too. He wants that too. He places in us a desire for better. So ask him what step that you should take. Ask him what you should do to allow him to help you create better and closer relationships with those that you are at odds with or those you care about. And one of the key things as you crave better, as you realize that better is a part of God's plan, one of the key things is not giving up too soon. Not giving up too soon. I mean, often we try to put God on our timetable. I mean, we set deadlines for when others can respond to our offer to fix a broken relationship. Or we try to tell God why he has to make certain situations better based on our schedule. And maybe the worst thing, maybe the worst thing is when we've tried to overcome a hurt, when we've tried to overcome a habit in our life, and we've tried several times and we just give up. We decide that we're just too weak. We decide that we're just too sinful for God to make us better. And we give up on ourselves. Please hear me. Don't give up too soon. Allow God to work. God will help us make it better. He will make it better. Look at this promise from the Bible in Philippians chapter 1. God is the one who began this good work in you, and I am certain that he won't stop before it is completed on the day that Christ Jesus returns. Don't give up. God hasn't given up. God started you on this path of improvement, and he isn't going to stop working to make you better until you end up perfect, standing in heaven with Jesus. Placing eternity in our hearts means that we will long for more until we get home to heaven we will be craving better until we leave this earth and begin to experience eternity c.s lewis a great theologian said it this way in his book mere christianity if i find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that i was made for another world if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. God gives us a holy discontent. He gives us a desire for more. He gives us a desire for better. Craving better is a part of life, a part of his plan. Lastly, and this is the one I don't like, Complete understanding is not part of the plan. Complete understanding is not part of the plan. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.11 one more time. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God is making everything beautiful 
on his timetable and he has placed eternity in our heart but we can't see we can't understand all that he is doing in our lives we can't understand all that he is doing in the world we can't understand all of the details of God's work does that frustrate anybody else I just want to know. I, I just want to understand the details and the timetable, don't you? I mean, why can't there be an answer to why good people die in horrible ways and horrible people live long lives? Why can't we have that answer? Why can't we know why God allows wars and suffering and conflict and corruption? Why can't we know exactly when Jesus will come again so that we can make good plans. I've noticed that often people get sidetracked spiritually by what they don't know and what they don't understand. Some who are delaying following Jesus are doing so because they have these questions that they can't answer. There's so much they don't understand about God and life, and that sidetracks them. But here is one of the hardest things for me to accept. There will always be some unknowable truths in this world. There will always be some unknowable truths in our world, some things that I will never understand. In fact, sometimes I think I have more questions than answers about God. But there will always be things I can't understand, but I can benefit even from the things I don't understand. Let me give you an example. I don't understand it. I don't understand, some of you might, but I don't understand how a huge airplane that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds can put thousands and thousands of more pounds of people and luggage on it and then take off and fly and stay in the air. I don't understand that. But I benefit from it all the time. I benefit from it, and I trust it when I get on the plane. And I can benefit from God's blessings even though I don't understand them all. It seems to be a fact that God has purposely limited our understanding. He has purposely limited our understanding. Look at what it says in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. A pastor who I respect and who had a great influence on my life before he passed away used to say it this way, I cannot trace God, but I can trust him. I cannot trace God, but I can trust him. See, the fact is, we don't understand every detail about how God is working in this world, but he is working in this world. We don't understand every aspect of God, but the fact that we don't understand doesn't keep me from trusting him to do what's right. It doesn't keep me from trusting him to be fair and to create beauty around me. And maybe you're struggling with trusting right now, but Christmas time is the time that we remember something amazing. We remember an angel appearing to a young teenage girl. And the angel told this girl that she would become the mother of the Messiah. That she would give birth to the Son of God. 
And Mary listened in amazement, wouldn't you? I mean, if an angel suddenly appeared and was giving you a message from God and telling you this, you'd listen intently, wouldn't you? You'd be amazed, wouldn't you? That's what she was doing. But when the angel was done, she had one question. And the question was a pretty important one. Look at Luke chapter 1. Mary said to the angel, how will this happen since I am a virgin? The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will cover you. For this reason, the baby will be called holy and will be called the Son of God. Now Elizabeth, your relative, is also pregnant with a son, though she is very old. Everyone thought she could not have a baby, but she has been pregnant for six months. God can do anything. God can do anything. The angel said, Mary, your elderly relative is going to have a baby. If that can happen, the fact that you're a virgin isn't going to stop this from happening. God can do anything. You may be looking at what God wants you to do in your life, changes that he wants you to make, steps that he wants you to take, and you may be wondering how it could possibly happen. I mean, God, how can you fix that relationship? Such harsh words were said, and we have grown so far apart. Or God, how can you help me overcome that habit? I've been trapped by it for so long. I have tried so many times. And what the angel said to a virgin named Mary is God's answer for you today. God can do anything. God can do anything. When we trust in him, when we cooperate with his plan, he can do anything. But for that to happen, our response has to be the same as Mary's response. Look at verse 38. Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me as you say. You understand, for you to get it right, we're saying this is the right time to get it right. For you to get it right, you've got to respond the way she did. She asked one question. Just, I, I think I would have asked more questions, don't you? She asked one, and then she said, I'm your servant. Let it happen the way that you want it. For you to get it right with God, you have to submit to him. You have to say, I'm your servant. Let it happen the way that you plan. Let it happen the way that you want. And I don't know what that is for you. For some of you, it's a habit that you've been struggling with. For some of you, it's letting God fix your broken marriage. For some of you, it's any number of things. It's taking a next step towards him. For some of you, maybe it's the step of baptism. One person was baptized last night and four people were baptized last weekend and three people, I think, the weekend before that. Maybe that's the step you need to take and maybe you've been avoiding it. Maybe you need to say, let it happen the way you want it, Lord. Maybe it's trusting him that you're struggling with and you need to say, okay, I'm just gonna do it. I'm your servant. I'm gonna trust you the way that you say. 
Maybe there's some other step that he wants you to take. You can stop by our next steps canopy if you want to be baptized. If there's another step or you just want somebody to pray with you, you can stop by there after the service. But it's the right time to get it right. God has placed eternity in your heart. The discontent you feel is him calling to you, drawing to you. Because craving better is part of his plan. And you're never going to understand everything. But creating beauty is what he's trying to do in your life right now. It's the right time to get it right. Let's pray.